All right. There we are, my opening screen. How's that for an opening image? A wall, a brick wall. I included that image because I felt like I hit a wall this week. I realized it on Wednesday. On Wednesday, we try to, through every day, we try to keep some routine in our family. And so we gather with the neighbors on our front porch, appropriate distance, of course. And we all say the Pledge of Allegiance. But on Wednesday morning, instead of the pledge, I found myself accidentally reciting the grace that we normally say over dinner. And then that evening, instead of saying the grace over the meal, I accidentally said the pledge. So I realized that not only are my days drifting together, which I think they are for me, uh, not only are the days drifting together, but I think the hours are drifting together as well. And I just felt like I hit a wall. I saw this article. I didn't give it a thorough read, but I took some comfort in the headline. If you feel like you're hitting the wall, you are not alone. Uh, I've spoken with several parishioners and they have expressed the same. Nothing dramatic, no significant change, just the length of duration. It felt like they hit a wall. One child of mine who will remain nameless confided in my wife who confessed to me that they called the day off. They ended up not going, doing much school at all, no school. Uh, it reminds me of this uh, quote that uh, is from, I believe, Eeyore, today is canceled. I'm going back to bed. Maybe you have felt like you hit a wall this week. I come to God's word this morning in need of encouragement. And I open God's word with you, mindful that we're I, many of us, may have felt like we hit a wall. No real change in the circumstances, just tired, want to get out of the house, want to go out to eat. And so I open today, God's word today, in need of encouragement for myself, and hopefully to offer encouragement for you as well. And I think we will find encouragement. It's very sober encouragement, but it's encouragement nonetheless. We are in a sermon series in which we are looking at the Lord's Prayer. The sermon series is titled Essential Truths for Challenging Times. And the essential truth that we are looking at is the, second the Lord's Prayer and the second petition of the Lord's Prayer. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Let's look at that petition very briefly and wrap our minds around it. In the biblical language, often one short expression will be echoed or expanded by the expression immediately following. So thy kingdom come is expressed in another way by saying thy will be done. God's kingdom is the full and perfect and comprehensive uh, in action, enactment of his will in every act, in every area, in every nook, in every cranny and crevice of life. 
personally, socially, ethically, every area of life, God's kingdom is when his will is done perfectly. And this prayer acknowledges that his will is done imperfectly on earth, while it is done perfectly in heaven. And the prayer is simply that God's perfect will, being operated perfectly in heaven, would be done on earth. A great prayer. However, the problem that we experience is that there are so many things that seem contrary to his kingdom. God is a good king. His kingdom is a, therefore a good kingdom. Yet we experience so many things that are contrary to what we might expect from a good king and in a good kingdom. In other words, how does the coronavirus mesh with the kingdom of God? Now, Jesus anticipated these questions. He spoke very clearly about uh, the coming of his kingdom. And in Matthew chapter 13, he gives three parables that really reset our expectation about God and his coming kingdom. He gives three parables that really reset what we may expect for his kingdom. So the first parable that we encounter in this chapter is uh, the parable of a mustard seed. The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard. Now there's the mustard seed on the tip of the finger, one of the smallest seeds of, of all. God's a kingdom sounds big, but Jesus says his kingdom is going to begin very small. The next parable, he told them, the kingdom of heaven is like a woman who took and had three measures of flour till it was all leavened. In other words, the impact of the kingdom is going to be unnoticed. Who knows how yeast works through a loaf of bread? Seemingly magic. You put it in, you walk away as it looks like the loaf of bread on the left. You come back an hour later, and voila, the yeast has affected and changed the loaf of bread. How does the kingdom work? It works in unseen ways. And these are very surprising. We think kingdom, we think big. We think kingdom, we think direct impact. Jesus says, no, 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 not in my kingdom. It is initially unimpressive, like a mustard seed. It is its growth is unseen, like leaven working its way through bread. In our parable this morning, the parable of the wheat and the weeds. Our parable teaches us the limited but temporary but real presence of evil despite the presence of God's kingdom. And again, this readjusts our expectations. We may think, why do bad things happen in God's kingdom? And Jesus tells us this parable to say, this is what you can expect in my kingdom. So there is the passage. He explains the passage. Uh, I just have the parable uh, printed for us. And I think this parable teaches us four things, four things that will end on a note of encouragement. The four things that I want to observe with you in this passage is that the passage gives us a clear view of reality. Secondly, this passage shows us a present comfort. Third, this passage offers us future assurance. And fourth, this passage, by implication, teaches us one necessary quality for all 
children of the kingdom of God. So let's jump in. First, this passage teaches us a clear view of reality. So here again is our passage. And you see that this passage, there are two actors, one, a a sower who sows seeds, and then an enemy who comes along sowing weed amongst the wheat. Now, the wheat, the weed that is, is sowed is, is called darnel. It has a specific name. And the trouble with darnel is that it looks very similar to wheat. So there on the screen, you see darnel to the left, and you see wheat to the right. They look similar, and they're about to bud. Even their, more, their young stages, uh, as they just begin to grow, they look almost identical. They are... Uh, indistinguishable from one another. And there are actually laws in the, on the books in Roman in the time of Christ, Roman laws that pro, uh, prohibit and punish agricultural sabotage. So this parable that Jesus referenced of someone coming to sow seeds is, is likely something that farmers of that day would have had experience with. They look similar. The problem is darnel is completely, uh, not only has no nutritional value, it's actually poisonous. So uh, it actually ruins the entire crop. Weeds and wheat is a crop that's just no good. Uh, And Jesus says that in his kingdom, there will be good things of the kingdom that grow. But alongside the good things of the kingdom that grow, there will be another actor, an evil one, who sows seeds as well. I'm not suggesting anything so mechanistic as that the coronavirus, that the devil caused it in any direct way. But I am suggesting, I think this parable teaches us that things like the coronavirus, isolation, uh, difficulties, trouble, death, cancer, the hardships, the troubles of life occur and can occur, and they will occur in a world where evil is allowed to exist. And so here is our opening point. Jesus was a clear-eyed realist. In this world, you will have trouble. We may think to ourselves, if I behave well, if I go to church, if I fill in the blank for those good behaviors you think you should have, if I am a good Christian, I should somehow be insulated, somehow protected from the troubles of this world. We may think that that may sound logical to us in our view of how God's kingdom should work, but Jesus offers us no such assurance. He tells us that among the good things of God, you're going to find trouble as well. He was not a starry-eyed sentimentalist. He offers us no false illusions, no false hopes. And I find that not overly encouraging, but at least Jesus is a real of your situation. And that is a small piece of encouragement. He is aware of how his kingdom works and how our, the, uh, he is aware of our reality that yes, there are some good things that we encounter, but alongside those good things, there's plenty of weeds as well. So our first point, this parable teaches us a clear view of reality. Secondly, 
and I put these two together, this passage teaches us a present comfort as well as a future assurance. So again, I move to our passage. Let me show you what I mean. A present comfort and a future assurance. We see it in this little phrase, let both grow together until the harvest. The evil one and the weeds he sows are limited. They, Jesus, God allows them to grow and they are limited in their time. Let me focus on one. God says, let them grow together. He is limited. He is allowed to act. There's a picture of a dog on a chain. I use that picture to uh, lead into an illustration. My youngest daughter, Susie, and my mom, Susan, her namesake, were on a walk in a park nearby us. In the same park, there was a dog. I'm sure this was a friendly dog, not like the mean, vicious dog that you see there. But neither Susie nor Susan, my mom, like big dogs that have a tendency to jump on them. So they hid behind a fence. And as the story goes, I think my mom called out to the dog owner asking, is the dog on a leash? And eventually the dog owner, being a responsible dog owner, put the dog on a leash and all, and they went out for the rest of their walk. This parable teaches and Christians believe that the evil one is a dog on a leash. Christians believe that at the resurrection of Christ, he defeated both sin, death, and the devil. He, Jesus defeated them decisively. He is a dog on a chain. His activity is limited. His, his, uh, not only is his activity limited, but the, his activity is temporary as well. Back to the passage let them both grow together until the harvest. While Jesus defeated evil decisively on the cross, evil remains, and the evil one who is decisively defeated at the cross will be fully defeated when Christ returns, and he will take away the weed, weeds, and burn them in the chaff, and there will be no more. And so we see that the two encouraging truths from this passage is that first, the evil one is limited in his scope, and he is temporary. Martin Luther said it well in his hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. Though this world with devils is filled, and it is, the world is full of weeds, and they are scary. They threaten to undo us. I should say they are scary outside of the assurance we have in Christ. Though they should threaten to undo us, we will not fear, for God hath willed his truth to triumph through us. The prince of darkness, though grim, we tremble not for him. His rage we can endure, though his doom is sure, one little word shall fell him. 
And so let me summarize. This parable teaches us that the evil one and the seeds he sows are real. They are limited and they are temporary. Their doom is sure. Their judgment, however, is delayed. If this is true, if this is an accurate picture of God's kingdom and the world that we inhabit, that we encounter a world filled with devils whose activity is limited, whose judgment is certain, though delayed, you and I must possess one essential quality, many essential qualities, but at least one. So we move from two encouraging reminders to our final point, one essential characteristic. And that characteristic is patience. Note in this passage, the servants asked, do you want us to gather up the weeds? Do you want us to go take care of evil? And apparently historians suggest that this was common practice. Get out there and tear up the weeds. But Jesus says no. Lest in gathering the weeds you tear up the, the weed along with it. Does this passage suggest that we should be quiet in the face of injustice? Does this passage encourage an attitude of continual pacifism? No, of course not. We should be active in relieving in whatever ways we can the hurts of this world, active in Great Harvest, active with the Mariah Center. But this implication from this passage is that evil and the seeds that evil once sows will remain and they will not be fully returned fully re removed until christ's return and because that is the case every child of the kingdom must have a superhuman infusion of patience the greek word patience macrothumia two words put together macro means to extend macroeconomics thumia means to suffer so to put the words together macro thumia the greek word the word from which we get patience is simply long suffering to bear with to put up and this is the way the word is translated in other translations of the bible steadfast enduring forbearing tolerant, even-tempered. These are not inspiring attributes. To tell a farmer, what do you want me to do about the weeds in my fields? Well, just tolerate them. Seems to be not very inspiring. How are we to respond to the weeds that we encounter, the sown by the evil one? with endurance, with long-suffering, waiting for them to be resolved for a long, long time. 
While we do not value endurance, long-suffering, the Bible does. Here are some of the few places where we find the value of long-suffering emphasized. Long-suffering is equated with love. Long-suffering is essential with faith. Long-suffering is an essential quality of every follower of Christ. Anything worth Everything worth anything is going to require a significant amount of forbearance. Long-suffering. And I feel like now, in this season of quarantine, in this season of isolation, limitations, small frustrations, major disappointments, We need what this passage implies we need. Patience. Endurance. Tolerance. Long-suffering. And while this season highlights our need for these qualities, these qualities, these qualities are an essential character trait for any child of the kingdom of God. Why? Because weeds remain. Jesus told us they would remain. Their removal is certain. Their scope is limited. Yet their removal is delayed. And therefore, friends, you and I must have Patience. I began this reflection by suggesting, by revealing that I hit a wall. And by my hope that in God's word, we would find encouragement for the day. And I think we do. We find the type of encouragement that a runner would face midway through a race. I was a runner in high school. I still run occasionally now. And before every race, my coach would gather the cross-country team and he'd give us some pep talk. Go get him. boy. But mid-race, he didn't give us pep talks. And we would pass him at mile one, mile two, mile three. He would not give us a pep talk. My coach would give me clear, sober information. He would tell me, you're running at this pace. You are in this place. You need to do this in order to achieve. This is the type of encouragement that we find in this passage. It is clear, sober, mid-race encouragement. Yes, the evil one and the weeds he sows are real. Their removal is certain. What do you need to finish the race? Long-suffering. Endurance. Patience. We're going to conclude this service with a song of reflection. It's a beautiful song, and it is beautifully sung. 
by one of our young members. The song recounts a disciple encountering not a wall, but a wave. And as he encounters the wave, he responds to the wave with quiet, resilient, enduring, long-suffering patience. And I hope this passage and this song inspire the same for us.
Friends, the waves in life are real. Walls in life are real. Weeds in life are real. But they are not permanent. So we wait for God with patience, with trust in him, knowing that we are his and that he is mine.